Hello, you're listening to the Consequential Podcast. I'm Dave Convery, and with me in the room today... Howdy. That's Lucy. Hi. This one is... Roger. This one is Roger. And today we're going to talk about politics in comics. Um, let's be honest, that's going to degenerate pretty fucking rapidly. So before that, we're going to talk about what we've read recently. Roger. <laughs> Your own petard. That's the thing that is hoisting you. <laughs> the petard, you. the petard right there. I knew I should not have left that petard out in the open Captain where hoisting petard. could occur. Captain Petard. <sighs> I hate everything. What have you read? Um, well, I've read a... Like a buttload of Transbet, but we'll come to that. So we'll come to that later. Not a great deal apart from that. I've read um, Satoshi Kon's Opus. Um, How was that? Bloody brilliant! So it's good, isn't he? That Satoshi mm. Kon. Yeah, yeah. I I don't read a lot of manga. Um, probably a little bit more than you do, but not. not uh, I would say a decent chunk more than I do. Mm. You I mean, being the mar- the manga standard comparative gauge. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I I am like I am one unit of ambient manga. Mm. I'm guessing you read basically none. I'm probably like half a unit. Although <laughs> if we ever get around to doing the manga yeah. podcast, I will read a lot of Pokemon manga for you. I think I'm at about three, maybe four units of manga. So we've all read some manga. Yeah. But. What Tell does the Manga specific- Council recommend for a balanced diet? The, R- the RDA is, um, is, is two and a half, but you save up to seven. Okay. Good to know. You've got to be careful if you're cutting it with anime, though. Satoshi Kon. Kon? 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 Let's say Kon. Satoshi Kon. Um, it's a thing now, right? We never get anyone's name right. That's, it's true. It's, it's, it's not IUSP. It's, what, what's like the old... It's, it's our unique failing point. <laughs> I think he... Um, of anyone whose name we've got wrong, uh, he is the one most likely to fucking haunt us for it. Mm. Literally or figuratively? Literally. Literally. De- both dead Die and, and be a ghost. Dead and weird and powerful. Okay. Yeah. He, uh, he died quite young. Uh, in his 40s, I think, or maybe 50s. Quite young. Quite young. And Opus is... It's... Um, is, is it... I can't remember if it was his, his last manga, certainly late. Um, and it's... It's, this is going to sound like the worst kind of self-indulgent metafictional wank, and in a way it is, but he gets away with it beautifully. Um, it's the story of a manga creator who is coming to the end of his like, first big work, his, his sort of, his opus. Uh, and has Holy dis- shit, I just got it. <clears throat> Sorry, carry on. I will pull things off you. Good luck with that, I mean... Have you had the opus brand of... Belgian chocolates made by the same people who do the seashells. They're all named after different operas, and one of them is called The Magic Flute, and it's filled with like a passion fruit jelly. This bothers me. Yeah. Mm. I'm, I'm, is anyone else troubled by that? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't really understand the semantics. Nor I. I don't want to eat made the Belgian by passion fruit tube. No. What's the Belgian passion tube? I don't. I just I can't deal with this. Sorry, go go back to your manga. <laughs> no, this this is troubling. Oh god! Uh, if anyone has an adequate explanation for the connection between Belgian passion fruit sweets and the magic flute, please leave a comment or or write in because this is giving me problems. It's vaguely in the shape of a flute. But why the passion but fruit? A flute passion, with a big passion, passion flute. flute. Why the passion flute? <laughs> if I could steer it back on track, 
There's a character called Opus in a comic I'm going to talk about later. Okay, that's nice. Okay. That's good. Congrats. You have to walk him down gently. <laughs> like a dog that can't do stairs yet. Pretty much, yeah. Kind of thump, thump, thump. Adorable. So yeah, Opus... Um, it comes across as this weird metafictional box, and it, it totally gets away with it. It's the story of um, yeah, you've got a man creator finishing his big his big opus, um, and the, the guy uh, Shikara Nagai is is um, he's coming to the end of the story and has just decided to kill his like not main but very prominent second string character. Turned out to be unexpected. Brought on as a minor character, unexpected fan favorite. So he's kind of mm-hmm. he's responsive to his audience, which already already beds in. Like really in the early, in the early sort of pages, it beds Is in. Is this like, like a long running Shonen Jump? Yeah, sort of huge. Oh, oh, like one, oh, it's one piece basically. Yeah, a, it's more like. Do you remember Blame? Never really got off the ground. Nope. No. Anyway. <laughs> um, I think you covered that though. But uh, it uh, he decides to, to to kill this this character. And the character somehow, like, the background details keep changing and things get weird, and the character somehow reaches up through the panel and steals the final page of the comic so he can't be killed. And um, Shikara ends up having to go into the comic to try and find him, and this goes incredibly badly, and he effectively sort of gets kicked out as the character... Effectively goes rogue, and this starts doing weird things to the structure of reality in the comic, and possibly outside it. And this 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 meanders a bit. So Shikara ends up chasing this character Lin into the comic and chasing him around in the comic. Um, further complicated by the fact that the comic he's the comic itself is, is called Resonance, um, and it has a kind of weird double time scheme thing going on. So you end up with a sort of peculiar triple time scheme for the finale as reality starts collapsing around them and they end up doing a metafictional author insertion thing in what is effectively a paradox time loop comic or what becomes a, what, what was a double time scheme thing and becomes a paradox time loop comic. There's a lot of complexity to unpack here for something that is also playfully, deliberately about quite slight shonen-y sci-fi comics. So Resonance, the comic that he ends up written into, is a sort of near-future dystopian-ish thing about a police officer who is one of the first generation of emergent psychics, like psychic abilities have just just started appearing, uh, hunting down a cult leader that takes over people's brains, basically, um, with the help of Lynn, she's called May, I think, or May, with the help of Lynn, this gang leader kid who may or may not be the reincarnation of a police officer that saved her from a serial killer as a child and the weird cult leader may or may not be the reincarnation of the serial killer so it's got this weird kind of bizarre double structure I honestly want to read, read the metafictional layer as much as the real comic mm. it's um, it's fun and it's weird and it's kind of winking at that kind of over elaborate slightly daft sci-fi adventure manga whilst at the same time as being a better example of it than quite a lot of them. Like, the dude's good. The line is very clear, it does a lot of variability, and when it's got this wonderful running thing about manga creation where the characters in his comic, when he starts interacting with them, whenever they go, sort of, they, 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 they know their world is weird and only start to be able to articulate exactly how as they realise. 
And as they sort of drift down the back streets, details start getting more spaced out, and eventually they see these blank pseudo-people that are just completely horrifying. And then he kind of apologises for being lazy and skimping on background detail or cribbing things from someone else's comic or whatever. It's, it's just got these wonderful, delightful little moments of his sort of fallibility and him talking about his process. And he casually talks about his process, and this is affecting the structure of their world. It's, um, it's just... It's quite complex, but it doesn't wear its complexity as a smug badge. Um, it's quite visually spare, actually, for something as intricate as it can be. It really juggles around with the styles. It's just this delightful thing. What basically happened with this, so there's an extra thing, which, which I, and I love this about this, um, is Stashiko died before it was finished, effectively, so he, he, he wrote most of it. It gets to a reasonably satisfying semi-conclusion point, sort of an imperfect cadence thing, that reads like it could be deliberate or could just be a, an okay point to end. Um, Sort of, it ends at the end of the main story, but visibly, perceptibly, before any kind of satisfying coda, basically. And it, it ended because he went to, I think he went to work on some, man, uh, some anime properties. And then... Paranoia Agent was his sort of big, big one, the big hit. Yeah, he did a couple of movies of Paprika, he did Paprika. Yeah. Which is... Yeah. Yeah. It's good, it's, it's worth watching, but... He also worked on Jojo's what is Bizarre wrong with Adventure. This? You're both making that face, but I don't know what it means. Uh, it a, uh, weird, Terrifying? Weird Tri- butterfly trippy, time. trippy body horror hallucinatory stuff that got put on the big screen at the party at Thought Bubble when we're all slightly pissed and in a packed room full of people. Horrifying. It's kind of a weird oh, yeah. hallucinatory and occasionally sexually uncomfortable thing to watch. On your own in a safe space. It's 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 a it's an unnerving background to a disco. I'm gonna go ahead and not watch that. If you change your mind, I'll happily lend it to you. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not great with body horror. No. It, it also doesn't make the most sense, but it's 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 a weird immersive sensory experience. But yeah, he he went to work. Three hundred on... people in a disco. To yeah. Have. Opus gets parked. He goes to do something else and then dies. And at the back of Opus is, in less colour and detail, what the book claims to be the sort of rough pencils mm-hmm. uh, that were recovered by his estate mm-hmm. of effectively a sort of coda sequence where he sort of is talking about finishing Opus. Mm-hmm. So it was Satoshi Kon himself. Yes, no, so not not the manga that. character. Yes. So, you, so it's got this whole stack of realities thing mm-hmm. where May, the character, talks to Shikara about his role as her sort of god figure and creator. And then in this, Shikara talks to Satoshi Kon. We never see his face. He's always facing away or is blanked out. And if I could be bothered doing my homework, I could settle this. But I actually think it's sort of more narratologically satisfying to not know mm-hmm. whether it, it actually is the unfinished kind of bit that was dredged up or whether the coder is in fact deliberately being incredibly mm-hmm. playful with the structure. Because it's the whole thing has this running thing about authorial fallibility and effectively the multi-layered reality, multiple uh, fallible godhood. It's mm-hmm. got all of this wonderful stuff going on and that just wraps it up beautifully. And I, I, I just, I'm really, really happy not knowing whether mm-hmm. that's posed or serendipitous. And that's a wonderful thing with the dragon. So, it, but, it, but it vacillates between quite simple, or not, I don't want to say cliche, but quite sort of stylistically typical sort of manga stuff and then proper fucking weird. I, I love it. Also been reading Paper Girls, uh, that's Brian K. Vaughan and Cliff Chang. Cliff Chang. And Matt Wilson is also credited um, as an artist now. I think, I mean, it's good practice anyway to credit your colorist, of course it is, but I don't know if 
that's just a deliberate choice to give more prominence to colorists or whether he's actually been doing some of the pencils, I don't know. Uh, I think he's just a colorist, mm. but a lot of people on Image are starting to credit mm. colorists more. Yeah. Um, particularly was, him and Jordi Belair. But he was in with an artist credit as opposed to an explicit colorist credit, so I didn't know if he'd been doing a bit more. I think... Uh, that was something I actually really noticed in Transmet, reading it issue by issue, mm. which I did, was that the coloring is so good and was so non-prominent in the credits. Yeah. Mm. The credits, are, they feel quite dated for Transmet, mm. don't they? But, um, this is... So we've talked about Paper Girls before when the first couple of issues dropped. Uh, and the trade just came out this week, I think. Yes, just just on the last Wednesday. And it's some girls on a paper round in 1988 on Halloween. And some weird shit goes down. Uh, and they encounter some shadowy figures who they first think might be like scuzzy local teens in Halloween costumes, but who turn out to be maybe monsters and teens. Until one of them drops an iPod. And it suddenly breaks into a like bugfuck crazy time, sto- time travel story, which I will attempt not to spoil it. Thank you. So I can't really say anything else about it because the entire rest of it is set within the confines of the bugfuck crazy time travel story. Um, what can I say? It's got a nice trippy colour palette. It's got a really interesting line to it. It's got some, I think, like as an entitled white man with no frame of reference, quite well realised female characters. Um, I, maybe they probably. Um, it develops a conceit I wasn't expecting that it does foreshadow a little and is quite playful about it, so... The thing that looks like it is probably going on, um, the stuff that's causing the time travel brouhaha and everything everything being a bit peculiar, is timely and topical and playfully so in a way that I think means it's going to save it from being corny. And there's a guy that looks like kind of the metastasis of the dude. I'm just imagining the dude covered in... Tumors. Yes, yeah. just an enormous. Like large skin tumors. Have I, I neither of you you've read the whole thing? I've read not the, the whole thing. I read the first issue. one. Okay. So, so the first is a wonderful taster of the flavor of it, but it doesn't really tell you where it's going, and so I'm just going to leave it there. Okay, good. Okay, he's going to tease us. I think yes. it is. I think it is genuinely good. Um, probably to be taken as a fun period piece. There's a lot of there's a lot of fun. I mean, there's there's a de, there's a very the first one at least is a very deliberate um, feeling of the films of that era. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And it it stays with that specifically Spielberg. It absolutely stays with that. It never loses the Spielbergy feel. Um, mm. Like the sort of it's. Well, I mean, there are riffs on all sorts of things. There's quite a bit. There's quite a bit of Stand by Me in it. There's quite a bit of ET in it. But it even when when I read the first one, a little bit of sort of latest Spielberg, yeah, Spielberg like Super Eight. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, Super Eight is again very much the sort of throwback to those films. Mm. It's a big, big throwback to that sort of um, glory days of children fighting in a way that made sense. Mm. It's got um, it's got some really nice mood based coloring. Like it sort of it color codes time quite well. It color codes feel. Um, but the, one of the things that it's got going on a lot, and this this plays for the theme, of course, but um, is it entertains an interesting differential between the extent to which children understand their world, the extent to which adults don't understand and understand their world, the way the extent to which both think the other do or do not understand their world, and that thing that the Spielbergy stuff does, 
um, of showing kids finding out how their world works or finding out something adults don't know about the way their world will go. Just, just, just having that like exploratory discovery adventure and being surprisingly good at blagging it. Mm-hmm. So the ironic advantage thing you get of kids encountering something they find magical that adults uh-huh. do not and then finding something that's actually magical that adults don't know about. And it really juggles that ironic advantage discovery delight. Mm-hmm. Um, Rather well, I think. And there's some... I mean, it's got Chekhov's hockey stick. That's a bonus. It plays quite neatly with its foreshadowing. It's got some cool sci-fi stuff in it. It's... I'm making it sound a bit less slight than it is. Like, it's... No, slight's wrong, slight's wrong. It's quite daft. It is really daft. It's got some nice little fake-outs. Um, not a lot about the panel structure. There's a lot of really great panel structure. Some of it's really showy, like Sandman Overture, but there's a lot of really good page layout and panel mm-hmm. structure at the moment. This is the best comic I've read to have reasonably boring page structure. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> that's, that's like the nastiest thing I can find to say about it. I think it's tremendously enjoyable. So it's fun. People should read it for fun. Yes, yes, they should. Fun and enjoyment. Mm. You don't often enjoy things, but you enjoyed this thing. I enjoy a few things. Most of the things I enjoy are here. Mm. Excellent. In this room, like a giant sack of corn. Yeah. And some wine. I'm enjoying that corn and the wine. Mm. Lucy, what have you read? Literally only the thing for the topic. Dave, what have you read? I'm glad you asked. Should we just leave him to... Mm. We, we can go and do something else for a bit. Mm. You're mean. Uh-huh. You cruel people. Carry on flapping your gums. I've been reading a bunch of DC comics. Why? Because I've been because I'm trying to overcome my not particularly subliminal bias uh, against them, and because they've got a couple of recently new editorial teams who've been doing some interesting things. Um, Did they suddenly stop having genuinely horrible politics? Partially. Partially. so the first one I read was Martian Manhunter, um, which is sort of a reboot of the Golden Age, Silver Age character. The Martian Manhunter. Uh, the Martian Manhunter. John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. His name is John Jones. He's a Martian Manhunter. Yes, yeah, he's from... A hunter of Martian men or a Martian hunter of men? Both. What? Yeah, I know. Thanks, ambiguity, you worked out this time. <laughs> Um, by Rob Williams and Eddie Barrows and it's uh, it's absolutely not my favourite comic of the week or, or even uh, my favourite Martian Manhunter comic but if you're going to do a reboot this feels like a really good way of doing one um, so it sort of starts the character the normal version of the character that you expect doing heroic shit wearing a cape and all of that and then he suddenly finds out that he's not who he thought he was, he had a bunch of implanted memories, and he kills himself. Which is a fairly big opener. That's bleak. Mm-hmm. It then sort of cuts to a bunch of other characters that were introduced in the first issue. So there's a, a sort of a, a jewel thief from Dubai, um, there's an FBI agent, and uh, there is the ten-foot-tall gangly creature in a three-piece suit with underpants on his head who's known as Mr. Biscuits. Um, You've got that impish face you get who, sometimes. Who sort of winds up recruiting 
local orphan children to, to, to help him. This isn't getting better. Defeat the Martians. Um, and it turns out that, you know, that he's scattered his personality across all of these people a very long time ago and is slowly trying to rebuild himself into the heroic character that he imagined himself to be. And so it plays around with the, um, the, the, the sort of the past of the character and fully acknowledges it while doing something brand new with a giant gangly character. Tell me more Mr. of Biscuits. this, Mr. Biscuits. Mr. Biscuits is... Mr. Biscuits is sort of the absolute subconscious of John. He doesn't know what he is. He doesn't know if he's good or bad, but he's acting on impulse in the way that he feels to be correct. And as such, he's sort of the most notionally heroic of all of them, despite being very fond of Kevin James films and biscuits. I have a, a question. Do you Just now? the one. Yes. And I, I, I think this is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it goes to clarity and, and it cuts across cultures. When you say biscuits, do you mean actual biscuits in the way that, you know, right-thinking, decent folk would, would account, tea dunkable, flat and crunchy, or, or do you mean bullshit scones? I mean biscuits in the British sense of biscuits. Not not the things that America refers to as biscuits and covers with something butter and gravy and something that they cover in in, in a thing they call gravy that or looks like sandwiches. Right, I've got a point here. It's perfectly acceptable to eat a buttermilk scone or biscuit, if you will. Buttermilk scone, breakfast. yes. But not to call it a biscuit. No. I'm talking about biscuits in the British sense because fuck, they can hear our voices, right? I, they I, know not, what we I'm are. Not, I'm not fucking about here. Uh, no, he's obsessed with biscuits. He explains that these are cookies. It's written by Rob Williams, who's from 2000 AD. Basically, the DC Universe just got a big load of 2000 AD ejected into it, and it's weird, and there are biscuits. A big spooge of weird British. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Speaking of which... I'm okay with this. I also read... Constantine the Hellblazer, which is a new version of Hellblazer, um, which um, is not written by British people, but features British people. Um, and it's it's written by uh, Ming Doyle, who I only really know as an artist, but she's right. pretty good at writing as well. Uh, James Tinney and, and drawn by Riley Rossmo, who did Cowboy Ninja Viking, which was great because oh, it yeah, was insane. Yeah, yeah. That was mad as balls. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. And there's a quote from me in the hardcover edition, if anyone... Uh, really? Yeah, really? if anyone uh, wants to buy that. Is yeah. that that one thing that you quoted on? Yeah. yeah. What, what did you say about it? I said it was great. I said it was, you know, two volumes of comics leading up to one stupid X-Men joke, and they, they seemed to agree. Yeah. So... Um, but it's, it's Hellblazer. It's John Constantine again. Younger, gayer, still a dick. I have no context for what hell, a Hellblazer or a Hellblazing is. You read Sandman? I have read Sandman. It's the character John Constantine from Sandman. I know the character John Constantine. I did not know that that was the same thing as Hellblazer. Oh, it's the name they gave his standalone comic when they couldn't get the rights to Hellraiser because the film came out about the same time they were trying to launch the comic. Right. I see. Because he drinks. Because he drinks. Hellraiser. Um, it's weird. A lot of it's set in Cambridge. That's which, weird. Fact fans, is where we are now. This podcast um, is set in Cambridge. And yeah. Cambridge, according to the comic, looks like fucking Harry Potter Wonderland. Twat off. <laughs> yeah, did, did they even, like, 
The Google fucking Street View is a thing. You can go and wander around any shitting city you want. Or get your fucking publishing house to pay to send you over there. Ideally. For the most, it's fine. Come and have a drink with it's us. Just, it's just big, obvious buildings like the Wren Library, which is a flat, squat thing, but in this has giant towers. Yes. Um, yeah, the Wren, the Wren Library is a slightly gussied-up cuboid. The yeah. Wren Library is insured for something like three billion pounds. Yeah, well, it's full of magic books. It is. Yeah. Wait, it actually There's a is. secret library within it. There actually is one, of the, well, not a secret library. There's like a, a super secure tiny library at, at Peterhouse where they have a load of really insane shit. The mummified hand of Jesus Christ. Turtle. Shakespeare's skull. Probably. Mm. Mostly just old books, I think. Old books about buggery? Probably. Probably. There's a lot of, well, there's some attempted buggery in this anyway. Good. John's not very good at getting his end away, but he tries, bless him. Bless. I thought Um, Constantine was straight. No, he's always been bi. This Mm. just just plays up to it more. Mm. Um, Just gay him up for a newer audience. Yeah. Why not? Why not? The younger, um, gayer, snake person generation. It's true, that's what they want. They want all gay stuff all the time, which is why they love BuzzFeed. Also, why the Cheese and Gay Stuff podcast got, like, much it better did. listener figures than... It got than, mad than SEO. Not, not all of them, but, like, we, we the, the, the Cheese and Gay Stuff podcast did surprisingly well. We could do another one. People did like Cheese and Gay Stuff more than they liked architecture, it's true. I don't want to read any more gay comics particularly, not because I have anything against them, I just can't think of any that I particularly want to read, but I do want to eat more cheese. We could eat a cute brie. <sighs> it would be cute. Anyway, Constantine's quite good. Oh, good. Um, there's some fucking great layouts in it. Just yeah. Rosmo's art is great. There are some issues that he's not on, which is annoying because that DC double shipping thing where they put out multiple issues in a month and uh, jump between artists to facilitate that, which means you never get a good, consistent run on anything. Mm. Jump between, yes. Um, but when Rosmo's on it, it's me. great. Yeah, it bothers me, it bothers it, me as well. It just, it, visual continuity, fuckers. Yeah, and it also dents the kind of... Well, it dents the aesthetic coherence of the whole, right? Like, it, Yeah. I can't, I can't think of a genuinely great run on any comic where it's switched artists like that. Really can't. Any not if, not if it switches within a story. I, I could imagine a way you could make that semantic. Like I could imagine you could find ways of making it jumpy for salience. Sure, and there's but some. I bet st- they don't. There's some stuff that's done that really well. Like um, the Alice Cott um, Winter Soldier comes to mind. It like uh-huh. it, it's layers within layers, and it jumps between artists as the um, viewpoint shifts. Okay, that could that could, that could genuinely work. Um, in a very similar way to Profit, and with some of the same artists, mm. I believe. Um, and it's also incomprehensible sci-fi. Alice Cott, you say? Yes, I know, I know. For what you say? Um, but Constantine... I do sometimes say that. I, uh, there's a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the original run that I really enjoy. Um, it's one of the big Vertigo series that I've always enjoyed. And this does fun stuff with it. There's a whole issue where, which is just vignettes of jobs he got on Craigslist. <laughs> As a you know freelance magician and exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that. It's pretty great. It's kind of like a, a sort of low rent Ghostbusters take on the character, and it's fun. But the thing that I really enjoyed um, of all the DC stuff I've been reading was um, Doctor Fate by Paul Levitz and Sonny Liu. I don't know this. So Doctor Le- uh, Doctor Fate is a golden age. Um, DC character or one of those characters that was a golden age character that got folded into DC later on when Mm. the original company went tits up Mm -hmm. and um, 
this is a new version set in their new 52 universe um, where essentially Dr. Fate is a character who is bonded to a mask of the Egyptian priest Nabu um, who is prophet of Thoth uh, Thothamon um, Gotta catch them all. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, and, and there's always been this sort of play between whether the helmet is controlling him or the other way around, and they mm. need to do stuff with that. But essentially, the, the new version of the character is a, is a second uh, generation Egyptian American just starting out as a medical student. Mm. Um, in a Hurricane Sandy-type flood um, storm, which is Anubis trying to cleanse the world. Um, yeah, fair, he'll do that. Yeah, um, but Bast isn't having any of this shit and um, uh, essentially tries to um, ensure that this kid and the mask come into contact. And it's basically a sort of fish-out-of-water storyline from there, um, but sort of playing across themes of identity in in the sense of sort of immigrant identity and the way that he interplays with his parents one of whom is Egyptian and a doctor but working as a taxi driver because he can't get work mm. in the US and his American uh, his American mother and then various sort of people in his community that he plays off some of whom are completely Americanized some of whom are uh, trying to live as though they were in Egypt mm. Um, and it does interesting things with that it's also really good fun um, quite dark sort of I mentioned Ghostbusters before but it's sort of that sort of we're having fun but it's the fucking apocalypse sense of things <laughs> um, don't like forget to tip your waitress more of a recommendation than I was expecting from I the really love this mm. I really love this comic what does it look like? Um, gangly is the I phrase that a good I would use Gangly is, is, is what I would call it. There, um, um, but Sonny Liu has done other things of a similar bent. He did a comic called The Shadow Hero a while ago, which was a uh, remake of the first superhero comic ever to feature an Asian American. Yeah. Um, yeah. And his style is long limbs and weird elongated stuff. And it, it's more... It's more aggressively fluid in this than it is in Shadow Hero, which is sort of slightly anatomically correct, whereas this, this sort of mm. flows all over the place, particularly in the more um, psychedelic moments as it goes into the underworld and things like that, because, you know, of course he has to go through the entire uh, Egyptian underworld. Which presumably he's kind of incredulous, sarcastic about? Initially, yes, but I think he sort of... Um, as he sort of realises that this is actually happening um, and that this is part of who he is, you know, his background is, is part of him, um, he essentially sort of starts to take it on a bit more. But there are some very cool visual visuals that sort of call out how his own personality is part of this um, and how, you know, how he wants to live his life is part of this. Um, so there's I mean I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say there's a point at which you know he's fighting against mm. nasty shit and has been told to find find the ancient mystical staff and when he finds it it manifests as a, a Cadideus in his hand mm. because he's an actual fucking doctor and all of that 
Um, and it just does stuff like that very nicely. It's sort of it's things that you can pick up on in something that is a bit of a romp. Um, and it's just it's hard to explain, but it just fucking hits a tone that I really enjoyed. Um, it's well written. It looks good. It's a lot of fun. What quantity of it exists? Right now, there's just one volume. Mm-hmm. It's just come out. Five or six. Yeah, I think it's five issues. Um, but I think they're up to ten in the actual mm-hmm. comics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, was also everything, was everything trade that you read? Yes. This week. Okay. Yeah. It it sounds like fun. I don't. I don't. I don't do a lot of DC. Um, you look uncomfortable just thinking about it. Well, I don't either, but... And yet you're tempted. I, well, I've been hurt before. It's also got Dr. Fate emoji is in it, which is kind of great. I don't think he likes it's, emojis. It's, it's about young people with the emojis. I don't think he likes young people. Serpent Society. Clutch play. <laughs> so today we're talking about politics and comics. Which is topical because there are politics. I think I ate too much corn. There is always a politics. There is always politics. Yes, always. We've always been at war with Eurasia. My mouth's gone tangy. Roger's always been at war with corn. And he's losing mm. badly. Mm. He's gone iron. He's kind of like fuzzy, and there's, there are artifacts from the crunching. Hopefully, my editing was so seamless that you can't tell that we took a little corn break, but we did. We put it in the cornhole. And now Roger's... <laughs> no! <laughs> Roger's blood corn level is dangerously high. It's okay, though. We're going to give him pizza later, which is the antidote. Yes, it is. Cornhole. Wine is the medicine for the duration. In a moment or two, when he's recovered... <laughs> he's himself. Roger's going to tell us about Transmetropolitan, aren't you? My timing is fucked because I'm getting oh. corn out of my teeth. Fucking hell. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a go. Am I the only one who is not a victim of corn here? Yes. I have, I have corn regrets. I thought the video to Word Up was weird. <laughs> the band Corn with a K did a cover of the song Word Up by Yeah, Cameo. I was just trying to think that's Cameo, not Corn. Yeah, no, Corn did I a didn't... cover of it, and in the cover, I think it was the lead singer's head was kind of superimposed on a dog and the dog him wandered around a filthy looking area my grandmother was watching the video for the song uh, duality by slipknot once because we had it on and she happened to be there and it begins with some sort of sweaty angry mosh type people charging towards the house where they're gonna head back to some slipknot and my grandma looked at one of them and said did he not wash himself before he went on the video <laughs> Me and friend did discuss uh, forming a band just so we could do 90s music videos. And it'd be like, the one in the room with the inexplicable lights. <laughs> the one in someone's house. The one by a swimming pool. Mm. And then we'd have to retire, because those were the three videos. Those were the three videos. I remember them. So traditionally, um, political comics are more sort of um, news- the realm of newspaper comics, the sort of editorial well, comics. You said that. I was thinking about this. Um, Thank fuck, because it is the topic for the thing we're going to talk about. Do shut up. Um, and this, this, is ga- this is gaps in my reading. It's not a sort of pithy observance, but I could not immediately call to mind effectively comics version of The West Wing. So there's loads of... There's loads of uh, 
not that the West Wing is the only touchstone for political stuff, but for, like, for mass market pro- political procedurals, um, it's a, not a bad touchstone. So there's lots of politicised comics, there's lots of, of comics that take on bits of the process, um, there's lots of civil rights stuff, there's lots of social issues stuff. Um, International stuff too, I, mm. Munu has just occurred to me as being mm. A, about a kid who's doing political cartoons, and B, about a difficult political situation. Yeah. Uh, thingy, um, Stucker of a Baby. Yes. Um, yeah, Stucker of a Baby and sort of comics like that that sort of take on a whole raft of stuff, including the sort of the marching and the uh, activism and the sort of protest movement. There's all sorts of stuff that that takes on kind of activist and street-level political engagement, but I'm not aware of any sort of... Uh, there must be some. I don't know if you guys have come across any sort of hardcore political procedurals in the same way that you get, say, crime procedurals or what have you. Well, it's House of Cards, both versions. No, I mean in comics. Uh, no. Not massively, no. Again, this, this is probably gaps in our reading, but yeah, you've got things like um, House of Cards or A Very British Coup, you've got The West Wing, um, Yes Minister if you want to go sort of comedy. Uh, and old. There must be some more contemporary stuff. There's lots of little things. Um, Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. It's political procedural. It is. Boom. And I so the mic. she boomed you. Yeah, You've been boomed. I felt boomed. Please leave. I'm going to edit out the long pause. You're going to sound like it's going to sound like you didn't leave. Your joke is not going to work. It looks like you're going to cry. Hyperventilate. Cry. Cry hyperventilate. It's the new cranksy. I'm hyperventilating right now. Okay, you can come back. It's incredibly tempting. I really was tempted just to... So, yeah, the, the closest thing I could immediately find in comics, and it's because I'm a Warren Ellis obsessive, was Transmet, which is at the sort of liminal margins of political procedural. It's, uh, most people are familiar with it. It's out of procedure most Mm -hmm. of the time. But crusading journalist covering an election who gets into effectively bringing down a corrupt administration. So it's not so much hallways of power, but it's, it's a bit... It, it, it's not told from the perspective of the political insiders exactly, but it does mm. kind of bounce off the edges a lot. It spends a lot of time in their world, but f- with mm. with your outsider's hat on. Yeah. Whereas I think the when when we say p- political comic, I think we do more traditionally think of politicised issue comics, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of things that have a political bent, but we're really sort of trying to focus on stuff about politics. Mm. Um Politics from within seems to be really thin on the ground, but from without, like the Crusader journalist. Mm. It's possible uh, that a, a lot of the people more. who go on to make comics don't do the things they'd need to do early in life in order to get on the inside of politics first. Mm. I'm saying they probably do a lot of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think Uncle Warren's probably done his fair share. You Wouldn't... couldn't write Spider Jerusalem without having at least dabbled in that world. Uh, you couldn't write it you, convincingly. You could read a lot of Hunter S. Thompson and then yeah. kind of regurgitate a certain amount. The first issue is the worst for it. The first issue yeah. uses literal Hunter S. Thompson quotes and it dials back from there and gets a little bit more underwater. There are bits all over feet. the place. Like the bits where he sort of really nauseous off Mencken as well. Sorry? 
Um, there are sporadic bits, particularly the vignette ones where he wanders around um, and sort of channels bits of H.L. Mencken. There are, wow. That's quite... Hopefully the, hopefully the less racist bits of Mencken. Mm. Uh, by and large. Because, you know, huge racist. Not a nice man. Not a nice man. Interesting man. man, not a nice man. Trots out the thing. so many of the men from history. Mm. It got me thinking about that Nietzsche priesthood thing, though, that I occasionally think is quite a useful way to think about Silicon Valley. Anyway. But we digress. Back to the point. Digressing would be getting back to the point. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I was just lost in a little kind of... uh, I just sort of drifted off into a sort of, um, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but just just really fucking hating Silicon Valley. Um, I was wondering if you're going to start hyperventilating again. No, 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 I'm down. I'm, I'm all right. I've I've entirely lost my thread. Should we talk about Transmat? Yeah, because so there are there are other things that are going to be worth talking about, but Transmat problem is probably the big uh, elephant in the room in terms of political comics. So yes, no. let's talk about it. Just, 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 just out of interest. I know I couldn't really be fucked. Did any of us actually bother try actively, seriously trying to find any others? Yes. No. I did not. Thank you, Dave. This is why I'm the host. This is. Why I'm sorry, we don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> We're a super professional outfit here on Consequential Dot Net. I'm barely wearing professional outfit and I'm at work. Yeah. So, Transmetropolitan. Yes. Spider Jerusalem. Yes. As a journalist. Crusading one in the city, which is a city. sprawling, ill-defined city that appears to be most of the east coast of the United States mm. and has the character of a New York back alley with weird future tech strapped to it. Broadly. Um, but what's interesting about it is that you have to love it. Or you have to understand why Spider does so, sorry, I'm kind of drifting a bit. But Do the thing. On, on, on rereading it, one of the things that became weirdly obvious to me is that it's not all faux hundress. It's not all political crusading. It keeps breaking down into these vignette issues where a spider wanders through the city, partly to kind of point at the poverty and the deprivation and the weird shit, and partly to point at the funky URLS sci-fi contrivances. But I realised that they're rhythmically necessary in and amidst all of the, the squalor and the drama, not merely to humanise, but to understand Spider and to understand the, 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 the things that you're being asked to look at. I think you have to at least on some level get why he loves and hates the city. You have to get why he loves the world. You also need to believe that he has that compassion that empathy at that mm. level in order for what he's trying to do to actually work on an emotional yeah. level like when he keeps coming back to the girl is it mary from mary, the revival, the revival yeah she, she, i mean she's one of the most touching human notes mm. very few of the main characters are i mean even elena um yeah no her, her story in particular sort of told as an issue is yeah very very good and then returns to her there are, and there are there are a few of these these touches and moments. The Nano Cloud boyfriend yeah. is another really good one. Mm. And the city, the city is as much a character, but this one kind of lives more than, say, for mm-hmm. instance, quite often Gotham does. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's more one man's imagination. Gotham, Gotham gets rewritten and redone according mm-hmm. to who's writing it and what. That's why design do. is a great example of that. Yeah, mm. it, it, Gotham means whatever you need it to mean for the narrative. Yeah. 
absolutely it does. Um, whereas the city is mostly Derek Robertson. Yeah. Um, it's his thing, particularly in the detail. Mm. Yeah, Ellis's script. So from sort of Warren Ellis talks quite a lot in uh, All Metal Operations, his email newsletter, but also in, in quite a lot of other places about his process. And he's not shy about sharing his scripts, both in newsletters and in various places in collected volumes of work. I've not seen any transmit scripts, but I've seen a fair few of his other scripts. And he's very precise about detail when he cares strongly, but often quite sparse, mostly very, very precise about dialogue. But he has a lot of back and forth verbal process with his creators quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And so I find myself wondering whether, yeah, how much of the stuff in Transmet is sort of the artist interpreting their interaction or how much of it kind of is artist's imagination, whole cloth, how much of it is. But it's definitely very coherent. Mm -hmm. It's kind of all of these wonderful little bits and intricacies, some of it. Some of it very Warren Ellis, like the background details of, I don't know, Komodo dragon burgers or mm -hmm. drugs based on tiger semen. And, you know, it, it, all of this, this stuff that's very weird Uncle Warren, but or actually him of this period, like he's, he's a bit less, he's a lot less showy about the mad sex stuff these days. Yeah. Uh, have you read the most recent issue of Injection? Of course. I mean, that's, yeah, but... A return Hail form. Dongzilla. You just did the Snoopy thing that I thought was in the air. <laughs> I hope there are going to be Hail Dongzilla t-shirts. I'll make you one if you want. Maybe. Okay. Um, going back to what you said just now, one of the things I was struck by, so this was a first read-through for me for the majority. I'd oh. read the first volume and I hadn't, hadn't followed up on the rest um, for whatever reason. But, my God, the pacing is just so fucking tight mm. it's those those lulls in between great big plot centric yeah surges it, are exactly what you need at no point did i feel like the story was dragging at no point did i feel like it was pulling me along too fast it's just and it's got it's got what it's got a few big beats it's got angel's aid mm -hmm. the opener um it and then some short stories mm -hmm. and some relax but then but it, it keeps you know that that sort of two sine waves thing of as one story rises as one story falls the other rises mm -hmm. that kind of writing pattern mm. it, it, it does some good stuff to foreshadow what's coming so what it's got like angels eight it's got the rise of smiler it's got vita mm -hmm. um the shot stuff yeah it, it's got um smiler's family it, it's got yeah these these big fucking with you moments mm -hmm. um Oh, it's great for fucking with you. And then intercuts, just, yeah, little bits and pieces. So I noticed on rereading that the stuff about Smiler's family mm. is foreshadowed before Vita dies. Mm-hmm. For example. Mm -hmm. And just little bits like that. It's, it's really, it is really tight. He also does multiple different flavours of utterly deranged psychopath extraordinarily mm. well. Well, yeah, Smiler next to Hella. Mm-hmm. You're just like, ah, ah, yes. One thing that's interesting is when you, I mean, you've got the two sort of political archetypes, which are the Smiler and the Beast, and the Smiler is the sort of surface, um, all surface, you don't know what he's thinking, sort of mm -hmm. blank face psychopath, and the Beast is the sort of obviously venal, why would you vote for this fucker, yeah. last days of Rome. Sort of well, I don't know. I, I tend to think it was the um, the end point of current triangulation doctrine under current capitalism. Oh, I don't that's, disagree with that. I'm, that's I'm, kind of the whole thing. Yeah, terrifyingly. It, I mean, I, it, it's interestingly 
a lot of stuff has been interestingly prescient of now, mm. even. The, well, the one where he interviews the Beast and the Beast explains himself and basically says that 51% of Americans eat tonight and 49% starve, I have done my job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where we're going, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's, that's what's... It's going to be acceptable to say that on the news in 10 years' time. Well, it's interesting. It's, it's all of the... It's a lot of the issues we're seeing politically at the moment taken to a really uncomfortable extreme, but with exactly the same powerlessness on the street. Mm, mm. And that doesn't feel great from where I'm sitting. Mm. But I find it interesting how people apply the political characters in Transmetropolitan to basically every election. Um, He's done a really good job there. He has, and then, and, but also they're broad enough strokes. So despite not being the incumbent, Beast is... Trump this time round, Smiler's with Marco Rubio, but um, uh, Smiler was also Tony Blair in a lot of people's imagination for a long time, despite not necessarily being him. No. Then you could make a case for Osborne. You could, except he can't really convincingly smile. That's true. It sort of looks like someone's got wire attached to the corner of his mouth and it's being dragged. He looks like he's trying really hard not to ejaculate all the time. They've gouged a sad potato. The many cum faces of George Osborne is a a blog that I haven't revisited in a while. It's it's a Tumblr, the many cum faces of George Osborne. Of course that exists. We should link to it in the show notes. The people need this. The people do need this. Maybe maybe some choice images. It's something about the lip. He he looks like he's constantly trying not to jizz himself. Well, he probably is, because he's getting exactly what he wants for ideological rather than actual reasons. We went quite a long time before just breaking down into our own personal okay, politics. Okay, right. This, this, is, this, is, this is not me having a go at you, but this, this one has been one of my hot buttons for about five years now, which is the tainting of, if you like, the brand or the idea of ideology. It's perfectly fine to have an ideology, and the idea that a policy is, is bad if it's ideological really fucks me off. Okay, it's bad because the ideology behind it, it is, is bad, bad, and it's yeah. not backed up by fact. Yes, I'm happy to make that yeah, fucking correction. Sorry. You know what I mean, I, you can't! I know what you mean, wasn't no, sorry, I'm but it, it, sorry. trying to express my feelings instead it's of repressing the, them. It's going really weirdly everywhere. It's it's one of these things which is... I didn't peak. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's going to come out really nice. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've kind of... like Discourse has been seeded there, and mm. I, I worry that it's really fucking useful to attack the Tories on the basis of their ideologically motivated policies, but that creates an implicit perception that there is such a thing as an objectively correct one, for a start, not yes. true. Although, you know murder fewer people would that be nice um, but I worry that when like, in some magical future where we actually get to talk about a coherent acceptable or even not a coherent left wing vision of the future having tarnished the idea of ideology is going to bite us on the ass I'm not sure it's necessarily that though because it's, it's calling out ideology when it masquerades as, as actual maths yeah and yes. that's the, the first time we started doing this, or whoever started doing this, it was absolutely on the numbers, mm. and it, it's now just become this thing that bothers me on some level. I can't quite. So I guess the one, the one you've articulated, and you've been called a bad word. Sorry, it's been a rich full day. Yeah, you did articulate it. The so the one, the one that's bothering me at the moment is the sale of the land registry thing, where they're making <laughs> literally millions for the state each year. It is there is no fiscal reason no. to sell that property. That when I. When I say ideology, I mean that yeah. kind of bad, lazy yeah. thinking, motivated by the idea that businesses should all be private for some reason, probably so Ugh. that individuals, very few of them, can make a lot more money. I thought this would happen. Sorry. 
No, no. Well, you confidently forecast it on Twitter, right? Yeah. We're talking about some politics where a bunch of cunts fuck people over, and we're in a situation where a bunch of cunts are fucking people over really hard. Yeah. No one in Transmetropolitan who does it has any reason to do so. They they gain very little other than holding power. Hmm. They're sort of psychopathically interested in power. And I do think that is one of its most naive strokes. So it's reading of the powerful who fuck you over is basically that they're all... Soulless assholes. Playful psychopaths. Mm. Yes, this is... Um, And I think what we've seen with the current crop that are fucking us over is that there's a fairly even spread of callous psychopaths and people in service of an ideology that they have no moral scruples about the consequences of. Mm. And let's not forget incompetence. Oh yes, and there's ideas deranged. as well. And grayling. And grayling. What a little turd. I mean, I, I obviously don't look like I've slept in a while, but that man, Jesus Christ, the bags under his eyes. A family of four could live in there. Mm. We're going to need to. Definitely needs to be four of them, though. If there's only three, he'll... His face will be occupied, there'll be a tax burden. Yeah. Well, they could just offshore it, right? I'm doing, I'm doing finger guns at them for that bedroom tax roof there. That was pretty impressive. But it would yeah, be great if it weren't happening. I'm, I'm now too depressed about our actual to- situation. toxically awful government to actually, yeah. So let's get, let's get back to transport. I, th- I agree that it is a problem here. that... Sorry for being a cunt. Me too. Everyone's larger than life. Um, oh, you got over it. It's nice. Everyone's... I didn't properly read the tension in the room. She's doing that like the, like the youth do. Oh, just doing a little heart sign. You don't have to reciprocate. It would somehow be a pentagram. I'm not sure how you'd achieve that. But I believe you. My topology isn't that good. It did look like your hands were kind of scissoring there. Classic visual content for the future radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag Look, content. No one's listening at this point because we started talking about how much we hate our horrible government. I think they probably know. They're probably in on that as much as they're in on the other shit we talk about. Yeah, and it's not like we've never mentioned it before. The sort of the the kind of apex of mass technology and consumer culture as a distraction, if you can afford it, stuff is quite interesting. Because yes. again, that's clearly where we're fucking going. Mm. There's also one really weird thing, which is that people pay attention to the news and print journalism. That's true. It is the most glaring anachronism, but you sort of, you have to pick it up and run with it in Transmit, I think. That again, it's the death by design and everyone in Gotham fucking cares about architecture thing. The architecture correspondent. Yes. But everyone consumes media in the same way that Warren Ellis does, which is to say they have massive screens full of RSS feeds. Yeah. Does everybody produce... The way that presumably Warren Ellis and Spider Jerusalem do, like often in a toilet or something. I don't know. I don't think that Warren Ellis has a gun that makes people shit themselves, but I'm not going to rule it out. I think he probably wants one, though. (laughs) That felt like wish fulfillment. (laughs) It really did. There's a lot of of that in there. Um, The consequence free smoking, the bowel disruptor. So Spider's bad behaviour being nasty enough to be shocking, but low low long-range consequence enough to be non-culpable or at least escapable is definitely kind of enfantery wish fulfillment right mm. like the fact that you can't it takes a very very bad man to actually try and take him down yeah the, the 
the really bad people actually hurt you. The merely playful make you violently shit yourself. It's kind of... I, I mean, I like that it doesn't spend time equivocating over Spider's morality around that. It does mm-hmm. simplify the story, and it's left as an, it's left to the reader to understand that he's also a bastard. Yes, we enjoy him more for that mm. knowledge, but without any real need for exploration of it. I mean, he does shoot a guy, and there is the chair like a truth, and there are there are bits and pieces, but... I, mm. I didn't... I don't know, maybe I'm just getting a lot more violent as I get older, but I objected much less to people getting the shit beaten out of them than I normally would. It also, one of the things it does that is quite... We, we, we did a podcast on violence in comics, and I think we, we made this point that quite often... We made it in the second one where we actually got round to it. The, the sensationalisation is often in the moment, not the aftermath, and the comics that are trying to be pithy may focus on the aftermath. Transmit has a nice blend, which is it'll show people with horrible distended bruises or scarring mm. or, or what have you. That said, it generally comes back to them. The characters mm. that, that get the worst of it, like various bodyguards and mm. Fred Christ... It does come back to it. The moment where Vita's head explodes is like visually nastier than almost any of the other violence in the. Mm. That was thing. where I knew I was absolutely reading through to the end. Yeah. And that um, is so well structured. That whole mm. issue. The interesting thing is, if you if you put it against another long running Derek Robertson, Derek Roberts, Robertson comic um, like The Boys, where it's uh-huh. all really surface, it's the same stuff, but it's surface and doesn't come back to it in the story particularly. Mm. It does sort of go to show that, yeah, the structure is the thing there. The fact that it revisits it as consequence. It's like it's it like the spider walking around. It's almost like con- context matters. Vignettes. It's it's that's that's yeah. That's the hu- that's the humanization. That's the hook. That's where you get emotionally invested. It's much more likely that you're going to do that with something that that lays it out for you and gives you stuff to grab onto, rather than stuff that just kind of takes and discards and takes and discards and sweeps through as though life doesn't have consequences. And a lot of the vignettes are actually... Some of the most interesting ones are about consequences. So the guy, the I gave my legs for you guy, that intervened in the rogue, the guy who... The the kid that hacked his maker and released Grey Goo. Mm -hmm. Or the... Is is this in Transmitter or is this another one of those property? The, The abstract mathematician who does stuff to the structure of reality and destroys a city block by accident. I don't remember it in Transmit. It's Transmit in my head, but it could be an excerpt from something else. Um, Seems more planned. Is it early? Because I didn't reread the first volume. Okay, in which case I don't recall. Um, There are lots of... It could be in one of the asides, to be honest. Mm. True, true, true. There, There are... Within the... Lots of the vignette sequences are doing that work, basically, is where I was going with that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and those were some of my favourite places to spend time in it. I mean, but but the balance was perfect. I was getting as much plot moving on and as much flavour as I mm. felt that I wanted. I didn't feel stiffed on either. Yeah. It's inter- I think the interesting thing is that a lot, it's just such broad strokes. I think one of the reasons that it sort of continued to be successful and continue to be applied is that the broad strokes just get applied to whatever people are looking out at the time. There is uh, there is a tension between I, I think you, you may not agree, but between like the book's analysis of the world, if you like, and Spider's analysis of the world. Mm-hmm. Could, we, I mean, if if for no other reason than the book offers multiple perspectives, but I think we are invited as readers to read Spider in, in, a, in a certain yes, way. Yes, yes. But one of, one of the things he he goes in for, which which I'm quite guilty of myself, is sort of regarding the populace as 
fucking supine letting this happen to them, don't they even think? And reading this and reading it portrayed in this way made me realise that, or reminded me, because deep down I do know that that's a dangerously simplistic view of mm. the world. Um, we, we was, was, I, I started feeling bad about the extent to which I lazily think that. And what I can't work out, and I'd be curious to get... Well, mm-hmm. it, it, you may not have to take on this, but, but if you... I alternated between thinking that it was either deaf to or doing a very good job of instantiating and therefore asking me to see rather than having to tell me about structural factors. Mm-hmm. So, for example, media capture. Yeah. So the comic has... It has quite a good... It feels like it's got some significant faith in journalism, particularly print journalism, as a crusading thing. Yeah. The the news organisations that get stamped on with the denotices are stamped on while trying to do the right thing as opposed to being wholly captured by wealthy billionaires or whatever. Yeah. So, for example, um, the the structural factors that, um, that keep the poor poor or that keep people sort of supine and subservient to a capitalist system or whatever. It doesn't... It points to... The two obvious polar forces, the sort of righteous government and mm-hmm. obviously corrupt, sorry, righteous journalism and obviously corrupt government. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't point very often at the big structural stuff that makes it more complicated mm-hmm. than that, that, that keeps that popular super. And this is one of the things that makes Spider's diagnosis interestingly incorrect. Yes. But I think, I think, I'm not 100% sure that it's not a fault in not pointing to those. I think it instantiates them sufficiently well that it invites us to point to them. I guess, yes. So I, I saw this as a case of the book inviting us to read Spider as much as mm-hmm. to read itself. We see him doing doing the sort of stroll through in the vignettes and the meeting people, but we also get a bunch of those ourselves that he's not seeing. We get a bunch of not just sort of situations and poverty and causes of poverty. You also get just the thing that you have... Right now, the thing you have in any human structure, which is humans trying to survive and make the best of the thing that they find themselves in. And I guess... Yeah, I guess... Even Spider, who needs to call on that stuff to remember why it's important for him, is guilty of being lazy about it a lot of the time, whereas I felt like we were given that slightly more zoomed-out view to draw our own connections from. Yeah. And it's... He is quite often a narrator and is pointing to bits, but then we sort of see things in the panels mm-hmm, or... Mm-hmm. Um, like the reservations, the one where he's, he's going around the reservations. Yes. and It's very easy to have a different take on it to him, I think. Yes. Again, well, again, it's... it's He is... N- despite the sheer amount of sort of philosophising, narrating, breaking down, pointing to, playing out in words that he's doing, he's also experiencing it all in quite a sort of quick visceral fashion he is someone who you know he sucks the marrow out of life he mm. gets fucked up a lot he goes to those places and it's, he's in there and it's wow and we're looking at the panels of that and what that could mean and what that could mean for him and how that could transplant back to how he's feeling about the city and how that's going to influence him you know we've got all of the in some ways he's a lot more visceral mm. than we are and kind of needs to be to do the job he's got to do and then the final two issues we see it all start to move mm. the kind of the weird momentum it all has um, I don't know and I like one of the things I really like is that it's not just down to him no it's in fact I was, I was just thinking one of the great things about it is it's not it's not a personal hero narrative it's they needed one of those and he happened to be the one of those they had 
that he was what the situation called for because of what the situation called for rather than because of him. Yeah. Down from the mountain is a particularly unsubtle way of uh, <laughs> foregrounding that. Indeed. The desperation to go back to the mountain is rather nice, though. I don't know. I... The, whole, uh, the, the, the sort of the reminding yourself why you love and why you have to love this awful thing felt very relevant. I think it, it's also sort of thinking about the on the nose down from the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the thing where he dresses up as tinfoil halo Jesus. Or <laughs> the, the various things he does where he flirts with his own messianic status whilst hating it. Yes. It's a classic example. And Warren Ellis is so good at this of having your cake and eating it. Like, it, it, it would only work in a comic as, as wear it on its sleeve daft as this is. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, getting to have him rush down from the mountain with the with the hobo beard and then kick over the stalls in the false temple while dressed as fucking Jesus and pissing on people and being kind of physically cleansed of his old appearance, being reskinned yeah. for the new job he has to do, which is harder and mm. more brutal, and therefore sort of leaving him with nothing spare except sinewy these... skin and a bunch of tattoos. Yeah, which are aggressively non. In, uh, in Moby Dick, the um, introduction of... Here we are! Here we are! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, Captain, my Captain! Shall I just stop? No, no, please continue. No, go on, You sorry. obviously don't care. No, 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 please, I'm sorry. I just, I really love it when you crack out of Moby Dick. <laughs> I'm sorry, I drank coffee. Eventually, <laughs> listen to the actual words she said. Ignore whatever my meaning may imply. Oh, no, no, say it, say it. Um, in Moby Dick, shortly after we're introduced to Creek Way. Um, Is this before or after the digression on Chowder? Chowder! Chowder! Um, sorry, the greatest book of modern literature. Do continue. While we do stupid voices from The Simpsons. That's political commentary. Um, I don't know if it's before or after the chowder. I can't remember that well. That's fine. But I think it might be before. Uh, Tattooed upon his skin was an ancient treatise on the subject of attaining attaining truth. And it it riffs on this for a while. Uh, I think I've actually forgotten my original point, but I'm just going to carry on. Carry on. Um, There's this thing about encoding running all the way through Moby Dick. But Queequeg's tattoos are inscrutable. No one else can read them. And they are not even about universal truth. They are about a means for attaining universal truth, tattooed on him by some drunk shaman from a forgotten society in a language he didn't even speak. There are these multiple deferrals of meaning. Mm-hmm. And Spider is, is covered in these... Then there's a comedy of errors when they share a bed. It's hilarious. It's true. Then there's Chowder. That's surprisingly tender, actually. We've all read the first, like, hundred pages. Of this yeah, thing. literally. Only that the spine started falling apart, and I got chunks of spine glue falling on my face, and I was working at Royal Mail doing the postcodes, and I just didn't want to keep reading Moby Dick. That's fine. I'm that's, sorry. I read a lot of long books that year. Fair. I read Possession. I like Possession. I like Possession. I like Possession. It's long, though. It is long. What's the other one that's long? Middle uh, March. Yeah, that's, that's quite that long. That fucker is long. This is, this is digressed. We're Sorry, don't, don't marry that guy, though. Why would you marry yeah, that guy? You marry the guy. Jesus Christ. What's, what's the other really long one? Uh, Secret History. That's pretty long. I haven't read it. 
Someone told me, it might have been Damien, that... Um... Is this a tribute to Ronnie Corbett? <laughs> this is the fifth sub-digression. <laughs> I have genuinely forgotten my original point. Can that not be the outro? <laughs> this is like Arabian Nights. You've got to work your way back up through all of the digressions to get to the original I've level to, of the story. I've got to walk the snack. Yeah. Shant. Right. Uh, just throw an error and dump the stack trays. Anyway, the, 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 I think where I was going... I'm just going to beat him to death. Okay, with what? Chair um, These don't have legs. Or, or, or they're one continuous leg. I don't want to allow it, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> they are far away from a platonic solid, let's just I say that. I think I've gone funny. It's okay, we can wank on for like ten more minutes and have a pizza. Right. Anyway, the point is... Make it five. Alright. <laughs> Spiders... Spider's iconography is willfully inscrutable, right? Mm. So some of the tattoos have some semantic payload, but most of it is just looking weird. It's a bit barcode it's a bit printy. Obviously, there's a thing about yeah. the printed word, the written word. It's kind his, of got a sort of almost kind of Celt thing going on when yeah. you see him naked. His, his glasses are... Weird. Deliberately peculiar. He's disjunct, and he's... But it's weirdly clean. It's clean lines in this very sinuous, very coloured landscape. He's kind of monochrome. When you see him stark, it does a lot of panels of him stark, quite often looking up at him. Mm. They quite often like to stand him on a balcony and make him look like architecture. That's true. But he does a lot of dirty things, but he looks clean in his person. Yeah, and it brings him into the city as well, the, mm, kind of the shapes. And, yes. uh, you know, to do modest flesh with a thing in the sequence of achieving truth. There, there is something about the kind of inscrutable symbolism, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I, or in, not, not, not inscrutable symbolism. Inscrutable encoding. Inscrutable encoding the inscrutability of truth, potentially. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure. You wouldn't go that far. I'm desperately trying to pull it back from Moby Dick, Moby Dick digression, but I can't remember the original purpose of it. It had something to do with spider stat- tattoos being semantically slippery. Hmm? I'll go with that. So, um, what's our central thesis here? Politics happened in comics. That's true. Specifically this one. This one, which we've all read. Which we've all read. And think is quite good. Yes. Yes. Um... They also happen in Ex Machina, oh. which is about a mayor who used to be a superhero. Yeah, yeah. And your past coming back to haunt you. As, as it is wont to do. And some other thing you read that looked like a fidgety newspaper strip and I decided not to read. The fuck are you talking about? Ah, you linked to it. I'll check the document. Do you, do you mean Bloom County? That sounds about right. Bloom County is a classic. Um, it is a fidgety newspaper strip um, from the 80s, I think it ran from 1980 to 1989. And the, it's sort of timeless and a good primer on American politics because it's, it's sort of like, what if you it's had... tell you how the Electoral College works. Basically. Ah. Oh, well, that's good because fuck knows. It, it, uh, there's, um, there's a bit uh, where... like It's one of those things, it's like peanuts. There's only 10 people in this and, mm. and you never meet anyone else, but... There's a bit where they get whipped up into a caucus frenzy and they're going caucusing. Um, it's, uh, it's very, very odd. It's like a demented political peanuts and, and, and it's very good. And it's just restarted. Um, the creator, Berkeley Breathed, felt compelled to come out of um, retirement by having a fuck of a lot to talk about. Mm. And I think also he wanted people to pay attention to him so he could do this April Fool's joke about having taken over Bill Watson's estate and... Launching a bunch of Calvin and Hobbes merch. <laughs> wow. Yeah. A rich full life. Yeah, exactly. It's good. 
but um, it's it's so it's a little bit out of date. But I'd really recommend digging up um, Bloom County. It's a lot of fun. Mm. Did either of you read the absolute fucking garbage comic about the American about Ameri- uh, Citizen Jack? I didn't read the garbage comic. I'm sorry. You said it was bad, and I thought I would avoid it. Yeah, I read it. It was one of the only other things I could think of that had some political process in it. It's about some fucking provincial dipshit who does a deal with a demon and tries to become president. You've got. Sorry, do you want to talk about it more? No, I was no, I, I, uh, I don't think I hated it, but I wouldn't read any more. I do not care. The demon is quite cute. It's a giant eight foot tall winged thing with an enormous maw called Marlin Spike. It looks, it looks in pitch. Well, it's a fucking demon. It looks like it could be fun to they're go for a drink Imps are usually demons. They're, they're, sim- they're simons. Not all demons are imps, but all imps are demons. It, I, I thought it would be a fun time fucking to, Venn diagram, to take it to the pub. Bastard. Yeah. Why did you think this? Like, what, it looked, it looked, by what it looked gnarled charming, process you know? did the horrifying fucking spluttering electrodes in your head <laughs> fire that thought from one side to the other? And how? That was a rich I... bird. <laughs> <laughs> don't you think it looked kind of twee, maybe a little bit cute? No. What are we talking about? I don't even know what we're talking about. The demon at the end of uh, Citizen Jack. Right, which I haven't seen. No. Okay. No, I don't think that to the extent that I think you have a lesion on your brain. I watched The Orphanage with someone who thought that the little creepy sack-haired kid was really cute and wanted to take him home. Aww. Yeah, he's a monster. He's a monster that kills people. Yeah, a sack-headed monster. So it occurs to me that we have... There's some examples of being on the inside of political process, albeit unusual process, comes up in Alan Moore. I'm thinking from hell, I'm thinking mm. movie for Vendetta, I'm thinking Watchmen to some extent. Yes. You've got incumbent power yeah. groups and their internal workings and... You get a lot of bastards in the corridors of power. You do. Mm. You do. That seems to be a theme. I think that's probably because he's been paying attention. Would you say he's an angry man? I would say he's an angry man, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think he's an angry working class man from Northampton with a genius level of intellect and uh, he screams a lot. Yeah, he's probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he knows what's going on here. He's also a warlock. He is. Uh, yes. Dude, be a warlock. That's, that's good. How's he finding that? Pretty good. Uh, I, did, I did find him uh, an interview where he's interviewing Brian Eno and just sort of in that very droll, rumbling Northampton voice of himself introduced himself by saying, Hello, I'm Alan Moore. Warlock and comic book writer. (laughs) Warlock first. (laughs) Put your best cloven foot forward. That's amazing. Why was he interviewing Brian Eno? Who the fuck else would you get to interview Brian Eno? That's a good point. Fuck. We've all learnt a lot today. We have. Roger, what the fuck are you doing? Because are you getting to something? Are you finding no. me the imp? No, no, yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm looking for the cute it's, it's not cute. In that case, I'm going to suggest that people read anything they can find about comics, because we or anything they can about politics. That's an what imp is wrong with you? Clutching a snowblower. Congratulations. Um, I'm going to stop these people from talking to you again. I'm going to stop them. I'm going to make it stop. Say goodbye, people. Goodbye. Ta-ta. Goodbye.
It's also just I've got I've I've read so much bad erotica that describes someone's nipples as looking like pepperoni. Just don't read that erotica. Nipples don't look like pepperoni. No, no. one's nipples are like uniform for one thing. No. Well, it's like unless it's like a really boutique b- pepperoni. If you've got if you've got thick ones, you could have the sort of pepperoni areola with a pepperami nipple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but even then, there's more variation. I don't know why I felt the need to point to my own breast. We know, we know, where, we know okay. where it is. Yeah, yeah. Roughly the same on everyone, really. <laughs> it's true. Except for my dad, who had three. Really? Yeah. I knew someone who had three. Yeah. I spent a certain so amount of my childhood worried I was just going to sprout another one. Did, Did you, you ever bring that one up? Or? No, no. No? Fine. No, no. No, I just kept that as a You're secret the first people who've known that. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, I feel comfortable sharing with you guys. That's good. And everyone? No, I'm gonna cut that. Okay. This is this is the bullshit time. This is the liminal space between the words. <laughs>